Well, world, we're in the deep into the reality sports online rookie draft extravaganza. The NFL draft is just around the corner. And today, couldn't be more excited to welcome on yet another brilliant guest, one that more than any other guest we've brought on will help you with your RSO-centric rookie drafts. This is our own Nick Andrews from the site. Nick, welcome, and tell the listeners where they can find you when they're not listening to you. Talk to us here. Uh, first off, appreciate being on, Luke and Goody. I know uh, the first four episodes have been amazing, so I'm glad to be on. Uh, you guys can find me on Twitter. I'm at Nick Andrews underscore RSO, trying to force the, uh, force all the advertisement for those guys out there. I've been writing for the site for two years. I've been playing fantasy for almost a decade now, uh, Dynasty for about half of that. And I actually, this year is the first year in almost seven years that I haven't won my first championship. So uh, it's it's a good streak that I've been going on. So it definitely helps asking uh, asking any sort of advice and stuff like that. What's going on? Because uh, I try and keep up with what's going on in in most formats. Not as big as IDP, but for sure, Superflex and uh, PPR is my my jam. <laughs> All right, and Goody, you come to us weekly as part of our crew. Where where can we look for you when we're not listening to you here? Uh, find me on Twitter at Matt Goody Two. And I'm Luke Patrick. You can find me at Fantasy Doc Oc, D-O-C-O-C, on Twitter. And I don't want to start off by vouching for Nick, but I kind of have to. In our experts league, he is the most successful player the two years with a with a championship and a runner-up performance. And so as as maddening as it is for all of us competitors to hop in, I I I will ask our listeners to bend their ear. He might have something valuable to contribute to us uh, for those of us that are in this game to win it. So Nick, to that end, uh, your most recent article that asks us to analyze the value of rookies versus veterans. Um, Goody has a lot to question you on this and, and, and you two have some significant things to say to another, one another about the analysis and, and how those numbers crunch. And so Goody, what, where do you want to start with Nick on his, his new article that we both love digging into? Yes, thanks, Luke. It, it was a, it was an excellent piece, and for those of you who haven't read it yet, I I highly encourage diving in because it really got specific, really got into some specifics, and and definitely in the RSO centric part of it, it, it was it's all all about reality sports online. In this case, we're not talking about other my fantasy league or other platforms on this article. is called Rookie versus Veteran Value Analysis, and. I guess my first question for you, Nick, is uh, we've seen these articles kind of talk loosely in theory that maybe, you know, elsewhere where draft picks may have maybe overvalued or whatnot um, and, and kind of hypotheses around that, but ne- but never really it, using RSO scoring systems or RSO data. And, and that's really that's really what you did. So can you talk a little can you talk about the methodology and your approach and and how you took these gobs of data and synthesized and analyzed it and got to the article that we see today and, and what some big assumptions were in, in that process. For sure. So the first thing I wanted to look at was just create like a general hypothesis, like you said, of trying to figure out whether there's a way to make it even in trading for deciding on whether a rookie pick or a veteran player is better as you sort of traverse your way down the draft board. Um, And especially with RSO, because the way that it's formatted is rookie picks are nice and cheap, just like the NFL is. So you kind of want to have that window of the first four years while they're on their rookie deal to make good selections. And then from there, 
you know, you build everything else in the free agency with that extra cash that you've been able to save up. So I wanted to come up with a way in that first four years to look at rookies and say, okay, where is it? Where is the value to go and trade a veteran to go get, you know, an asset or whatever you need to be able to have your draft ready to go. And then from there, okay, no, this pick is no longer valuable. I just want to get, you know, the greatest, the greatest veteran or whatever asset I need based on this formula. Now, having said that and giving a little spoiler to the article, uh, you couldn't go and just say, this is black, this is white, trade 102 for Antonio. Like there's no, there's no exact formula. The way that you need to sort of look at it is have an understanding of here's a group of players that all perform the same. And here are the general results of how players from the data picked at a certain spot within the draft perform. And therefore, you more than likely would want to either trend one way or the other in terms of, you know, which side of the trade would, you know, quote unquote, win. But as we all know, there's always an argument on either side of a trade. Uh, so that was what I wanted them to look at. So the way that I brought it together was that you needed to look at the first three years of the performance of the rookies. And then compare that with the three past seasons of veteran players. And now some of the veteran players thrown into that obviously became or went went from rookies to veteran players. So the data gets a little skewed in that way because as a player moves each year in from their rookie season, their contract values go up. So what ends up happening is a player, for instance, we'll start with Todd Gurley. First year, he's a tremendous value. He's the 101 pick. He's only making about six six million dollars a year. He does really well in his first season. All of a sudden, the next year, everybody's giving him 20, $25 million a year contracts. His value, therefore, goes down because he's he's still producing at the same level. But that gap between him and what all the other veterans are earning has been closed because of his performance. So looking at all that, we had to determine, okay, when are you able to sort of switch between picking a player and picking a, and picking the rookie at that spot? So let's talk about that player versus pick divide. Our RSO community is thousands of people strong, and in your article, you already attempt to start a civil war, Nick. I don't know what I don't know what you're about here, but you claim that there are two camps in our RSO community, and one of those camps want to accumulate rookie picks on the three to four year contracts, and the other camp wants to move their picks to acquire the veteran talent. First of all, I think we, we since we have three of our three of our crew here to talk to one another. And Nick, since you're our esteemed guest, I don't want to give away too much, but would you say that you are firmly in one camp or the other now that you've done your analysis? Well, I would say that the way that I would describe actually the two camps is one is Team Goody, let's trade for all the veterans, forget the picks. And then we have Team Bob, uh, our resident rookie expert, who would probably trade almost any veteran to acquire any pick that he could get his hands on. So uh, I don't think I'm in either side of that. Uh, several leagues I'm in, I have absolutely no picks until the third round. And other rounds I have, in my home league, I have four picks in the first round. So uh, it really just depends on sort of your team situation. I know RSO is a little different. You never really say that you're out, you know, you're out of a championship window because you're always building towards it. And you, you can build a lot faster sometimes than traditional dynasty, but for sure, uh, I would say I actually lean a little more towards Bob's side in the picks rather than the veteran players. Goody, is that a fair characterization of you, sir, as the as the veteran heavy? <laughs> I, I'm not sure about that. I, I mean, I have some high draft capital in some of my other leagues. I I think part of 
part of my stance on that, especially trading away my my first last year with you, Luke, actually, was getting Corey Davis and and pairing him with Odell Beckham Jr. in the in the writers league, and also having succeeded at picking Kareem Hunt at I believe one point oh eight last year. So I I think that that was a big hit for me and and really kind of shaped some of my future strategy. I I think. You know, I, I do value certain picks. I, I like I like those early second rounders. I, I know that with the fifth year option now or the fourth year option, depending on how many rookie years are, or like how the contract life is across leagues, that may differ. But I, I wouldn't say that. I, you know, I think Bob, Bob and I are kind of polarize each other a little bit and antagonize, and we just, just you know recorded with him on on rookies, and it was a pretty civil conversation. Surprisingly, <laughs> what you see on Twitter, but um, yeah, I, I I think I I vacillate depending on on what the leagues are, my team situation, and and really where I can extract value. Yeah, and Nick, one of the deepest insights. Uh, and I, it's, I guess I shouldn't remove myself from this discussion. I, it seems to me that that more and more, and one of the deepest insights from your article is that I found myself, whereas in years past I was inclined to to accrue that rookie capital, I tend to view it now more as leverage to acquire veterans that I like and trust. And um, I found that this time of year is the best time to do that. Uh, for those people who are listening, a 108 last year was sparkling because a lot of people did as Goody did and flipped a 108 and turned it into a player like Kareem Hunt. I'm not sure that that success story happens every year at the 108 and your, your analysis, Nick does a good job of bearing that out, I think. And so, yeah, I, I tend to view it as a, as frankly good capital for players that I believe in a lot more for team situations. I believe in a lot more, especially right now when everybody's feverish and waiting with bated breath for the NFL draft as it comes up, do you think now is a good time to start moving picks before we know where these rookies land, Nick, like as a player and as a GM? Yeah, I mean, for sure, before I even get into that, the one thing you have to know is regardless of whether you're trading for or away of the pick, it's all based on what that pick ends up becoming. Because what happens is if you trade for a pick and like you said, it turns into a cream hunt or a Juju Smith-Schuster or Alvin Kamara, any of those sort of end of second, beginning of first round players. Is going to be tremendous value no matter what you ended up trading for it because that player becomes incredibly value on the rookie contract and i think i even mentioned that in my article there is there's a certain pick very early in the rounds where if you go and trade a whole bunch of stuff for that and it busts then it doesn't matter whether what you traded was good or bad your asset just becomes a bust pick whereas it does hold tremendous value if you are holding it uh, regardless of a set number of players. Obviously there are some upper tier ones that you still probably shouldn't be trading for, but otherwise, yeah, you definitely want to be uh, being successful with that pick because that's, that's sort of what ends up driving all this data is having, having the successful player makes it much harder for, makes it much harder for arguing the other side of, Oh, well you traded this pick for that player and you didn't get the value. Well, yeah, because then I went and drafted a wonderful rookie who is now leading me to the championship. My, my natural inclination is to be a little combative on these things, but given your status as one of our friendly neighbors to the north, Nick, and given, given frankly, that both you and Goody have a lot more of the data-driven expertise, I actually wanted to take a step back and just throw, throw some meat into the ring and, and let you two fight over it, if you don't mind, for a minute. So, like, um, 
Goody, could you could you highlight a player um, right now, or 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 a pick that you think like this pick is absolutely worth the trade for the player, or vice versa? And and let's give everybody some kind of concrete um, gauge for our listeners what you and Nick are looking for when you're making these kind of decisions. So you're a, you're asking me for a specific rookie pick that I would move for a player. Yeah, yeah. Like, let's, let's let's get yeah. Either and and you can do it either direction, but I just want to see where you and Nick come out on this. Like, given like again, we I can't say enough. You should turn to this article. Nick does a good job of having a chart there with the percentages and the the analysis available for you. It's just going to make for good listening for people to hear you and Nick have added for a second on one or two of these things. And I think in a, in, a, in a good way, it'll help us all to kind of form our thoughts as we approach how to deal with our assets, whether they be players or picks. Right. Okay. Um, yeah, I can do that. I guess first, Nick, can you, before I get into that, can you explain the kind of the weighting system that you did in terms of how you were valuing these players? I just want everybody to have that context um, because you, you did make some assumptions and, you know, you had access to data that not everybody else in, in our community can see. So can you talk about just the, the, the approach with it, and then I'll get into a specific draft pick and what we would do with it. For sure. So the first way that we had to try and come up with a number that, you know, you could weigh these two totally different uh, groups of data is uh, we wanted to shrink it down to sort of two main things. One was fantasy production, which is pretty easy. You just divided uh, the fantasy production that a player was having on a per game basis and divided that by the average of everybody that was in this data set. And then the second was to take the contract value that they were earning and have it and divide that by the fantasy points. So that way you would be able to have it um, in sort of a singular number. Now, the one thing that we had to take understanding of is that we were doing uh, QB one leagues versus two QB and super flex leagues. And so we had to come up with different stats from that. So we had to uh, weight those obviously differently. And then as well, we had to look at, um, because in the end, I mean, you can have the greatest contract for a player, but if the player isn't performing at any sort of level, it's not working. So we had to create a weighted system where uh, fantasy points were still being given sort of the leverage that they had while, while being able to look at a contract and say, yes, in that case, even though this player may be producing more, the value difference is just greater here. Um, so from that, we looked at the three years data from uh, the way that the rookie selections had gone at a certain spot. So like, you know, 101 this year, we looked at Leonard Fournette. 101 previous year, we had looked at uh, Ezekiel Elliott. And the 101 before that, we had looked at Todd Gurley. Same thing down, 102, 103. And then the way that we looked at it was we looked at uh, the average game producer in 2017 and then backlogged into their previous seasons. And if in the case there wasn't a data set, like for instance, somebody like Deshaun Watson, who had a lot of good data uh, for the first six games of the season, didn't play the second set and didn't have anything from 2016 or 2015 to drive off of, uh, we just used his set, which is why you'll see for some players that either had tremendous value because they were uh, sort of later rookie round picks, and then that's all the data we have on them, or they were easily acquirable players that we had uh, available to us in the in the waiver wire or free agency during the season players like you know Alex Collins, Alex Smith, 
George Kittle, guys like that. Uh, they were obviously able to be acquired pretty easily for the you know the 500k minimum or maybe a million dollars at the most. And therefore, any production that they were doing compared to most other players who were making five, ten, twenty times their salary uh, made them incredibly valuable as well. So we kind of had to look at it in a way that would be able to average all these players out uh, based on their fantasy production and their dollar value. Okay. I, I won't dodge the question anymore. I just <laughs> wanted people to have that context there. Yep. Okay. So, so given what your data says, and one thing I really love about this is at the, at the end of the analysis, I think at least in the Google doc, I think it's in your article too. You kind of have a percentage with the draft picks and like a matrix and at a certain point it says keep the pick or keep the player and what the percentages were. So I want to talk about uh, the 1.06 pick specifically. And that that bore the analysis across all the positions. Keep the player was a hundred was a hundred percent. So take the 2018 draft, knowing what you know now, except where guys have landed. And th- there's a there's a wide receiver finished, I think, around number 20 last year, Golden Tate. And say he costs three years, and let's give him 18 million a year, three years, 54 million dollars. Um, on his contract, and you had to choose. Someone offered you had the you were sitting in the 1.06, and you got offered that Tate deal. You know, say you had two viable receivers, but you're in a league that has a lot of flex positions and whatnot. Um, what would you do with it? I, I know what I would do. Yeah, I mean, like like you said, the data suggests that 106. You know, you you're pretty much trading for the player every single time. And the reason for that is the three players that are there. Uh, they've been, you know, TJ Yeldon, uh, who's the other one that we've had. Oh, Mike Williams. So there's been, you know, it's sort of that, I find that 106 ends up actually being sort of the tier after that group, first group of guys that everybody always wants in a rookie draft. And therefore guys are either taking the guy they like or a guy that they're reaching for, or uh, sort of what the latest draft mover up, uh, player is and then so so there's a lot there's a lot of fluidity in that position so in that case I mean this draft it's it, it's really throwing me for a loop because I love a lot of players in this draft and there's about the first 10 players at least on my board that I would say I would hold on to that pick no matter what but, but looking at this you can't have every single player in a rookie draft especially in the first round be amazing and produce at a high level or they may even take still a couple more years and if you're a team that's winning right now player like golden tate would be able to offer you 10 12 15 uh fantasy points depending on how your league is structured in its scoring format and that rookie traditionally only has about a 45 to 50 50 chance uh of being able to produce within the first three-year window of sort of uh, before we're able to decide whether they're busts or not. So uh, in that case, I would probably seriously consider uh, trading for Golden Tate, but knowing what I know about how rookie picks go, you would probably easily be able to get mid-second round tier production level back in terms of you could you probably ask for uh, you know, a mid-second round pick on top of Golden Tate to be able to fall uh, that far from 106. Yeah, I... I would, I would definitely, I agree with you on that. I, I would skew towards the Golden Tate side of it. I, I don't even know that I'd require the pick. I mean, I would always ask an initial discussion because it never, ne- never hurts to try, try to get that sweet, you know, that sweet draft pick in the second round with it. But um, yeah, I, I, I think your analysis, and that's that's what I really like about this analysis is 
you know, people like Golden Tate aren't necessarily that exciting, but they but they produce every year. And that line is, I think, sometimes lost in this in this rookie the rookie draft combine dynasty hype. I would say, for sure. And and in every player has a full mentality until they essentially become Laquan Treadwell two years later, and you realize, wow, that that really was a bad pick. But at one hundred two, you're sitting there year of and thinking hey, this guy is my next stud wide receiver for the next 10 years. So nobody ever thinks like that until, you know, 12 to 24 months later after they've made the choice. Unfortunately, usually at that point, you're unable to trade that player again for the same value of what you could have gotten for the original pick. So you got you got to be able to weigh uh, where you're at. And, that, and again, that comes back to, I, I think I sent a tweet out earlier this week saying, this year specifically, you got to have your own boards and make sure that you believe in the guys that you're picking because everybody's going to have a different board pretty much once you get past the 102 down to into the second round. Yeah. So speaking of that board, uh, if for those people that don't want to make their own and that rely on the experts in our community, the right now, the, the experts in the most recent um, rookie mocks over at fantasy pros are putting DJ Moore at the 106. When you have an actual name attached to the 106, are you still leaning towards Golden Tate over DJ Moore, given like about a twelve or thirteen million dollar difference per year on those contracts? Yeah, for sure. For any wide receiver this year, for, whether it's DJ Moore or Calvin Ridley, James Washington, Cortland Sutton, any of those guys, um, I'm probably a lot further down, maybe than some on the wide receivers class this year. And so, if I'm just putting it head to head against a player such as Golden Tate, who I know is going to give me bare floor, probably YR3, potentially high YR2 upside. I don't know if I can get that same production at any point in a rookie's contract coming out of this year, let alone in his rookie season. So, Yeah, so in our, our past guests, like like Graham Barfield and Matt Waldman and and, and our own Bob Cowper have, have kind of seen the same pivot point right around 105, 106. Some of them have said they see a Calvin Ridley or DJ Moore sneaking into the top four. It sounds like you're not on that train. So the next two running backs that are available after the 106 typically are Rashad Penny and Ronald Jones. Would either of those two players move you to like give up a golden Tate, like to go get one of those two guys? That's where one I would be looking a lot more at positional need and if you're a player that is sort of the one running back or if you're one running back or you're looking to acquire some talent cheaper in the free agency because maybe you don't have the amount of money that everybody else in your league has and again that's why rso is great is you can have this different strategy of spending money more in a rookie draft in first round dollars rather than spending it all in there so if i was looking at either of those two I would probably look at my need at running back and consider whether having potentially RB2, RB3 production for a year or two is what I need versus having solid YR2, YR3 production. Uh, In most cases, I would probably actually take those two running backs. I'm higher on Penny than I am on Ronald Jones, but that's a preference for me. Don't take him for granted at six. (laughs) Very good. And what about you, Goody? Like you, uh, we're we're all trying to trying to nail down our boards, as as Nick says, and those of us that like to play this game with with an eye to doing it with some kind of expertise, we we probably do construct our own boards. Is there any wide receiver that you'd take at the sixth spot 
at the nice value of six six million ish per year for four years over the Golden Tate contract that you laid out. I I think I would have to have a plethora of receivers on my team to not want Tate over more and maybe like the mix of of dollars basically. Um, I, yeah, I I don't think so. I, I mean, which is surprising because I know there's a, there's a lot of chatter and and thoughts about more and, and highlights and upside and and I I am somebody who is buying into that some, but it's just kind of that that bird in the hand thing and this analysis kind of, you know, if if there was any doubt in my mind on that, I think this analysis pushes it further towards keeping the the veteran in this case because you know you're you're taking the chance on the draft pick either way you know i is as, as smart as i like to think i am sometimes i, I don't always pick cream hunt I, I make mistakes and you know i mean i, I picked kenny galladay in a league at 1.08 last year i wasn't high in the receiver class and you know if i would have just been patient and had more of a mentality of oh i don't it, it, like i don't need this guy to produce right away i would have had alvin kamara and you know that <laughs> Pairing that with Dalvin Cook, who I had at 1.04, I, I think, you know, sometimes I, I think what the, what the shift in RSO with that fifth year option, the fifth year extension option does, and with these contract extensions, it forces you to be more disciplined and more patient in in who you're picking and seeing who has upside and in who you really think can hit. So you have to be a little more calculated in doing that. So if I have a chance to get the burn the hand guy who I know is is a very steady producer. I I think that I'm I think that I'm gonna do that, especially if I have my own draft pick still to boot. And Nick, you walked us through your process, Goody. I think that's well said. And and I as far as like how smart we all think we are, do you see Nick your chart and the work that you've put in as being becoming potentially valuable for RSOGMs? to say, like, to go to the chart and become almost like a Jimmy Johnson trade chart or become something iconic like that for RSOGMs that we can all at least have a common referent uh, to, to, to work from when we're trying to compose trade value, especially for guys and for players and GMs that are new to RSO coming in when they're trying to establish what a pick's worth, what, what a contract value is worth, what market value looks like two or three years into a league's establishment. For sure. And it was funny that you were mentioning the Jimmy Johnson shirt, because that's sort of the idea that I was trying to model that off of. And I've also done uh, an article two years ago trying to create a similar model for the free agents and trying to create a value of, okay, how much is too much? Um, so talking about that, it's going to be interesting how people use it. Because like I said in the article, and I've sort of explained here, is that it's not black, white, this number is higher than that number, make the trade. So everybody's going to look at it and have a different sort of interpretation sort of almost like a Rorschach painting where you're kind of okay it looks like this I so I should do it or no it looks like that I shouldn't do it and what I want people to be able to do is sit in their drafts have their computer open have my thing right up next to their draft board and they look at it and say hey I'm coming up on the clock I'm either not interested in a player here or I'm really interested in a player and I need to get in or I need to get out what can I trade and what can I be looking sort of as a fair value point to start a conversation with somebody and say, Hey, I'm looking at offering you this. Nick Andrews says his chart looks about fair. What do we need to do to get the deal done? Yeah, I, I think that's a, that's a great way to look at it. And as a, as a sidebar to that, I got a question today on Twitter and um, 
think think I I highly I've said this in episode one. I highly advocate taking your rookie draft offline. It's pretty easy to upload it back to the RSO system, and I I think that really bores the time to explore trade offers while you're on the clock. If you set reasonable parameters on how long the rookie draft should take, of course, of a couple of days, maybe a week max or or whatnot. I I think that really drives league interest and activity, and then gets these synergistic type trades that can benefit everybody, you know, through some of the great analysis that Nick's doing. Uh, I, to follow on to that, Nick, can you talk talk about how the data changes when, when we're looking at a super flex or two QB league? It, it seemed like a lot of those second round picks in that case it, um, had a little more value then in terms of going pick versus player. Yeah, for sure. So looking at the data, I wish I almost had two different sets, one where it was all leagues that were super flex or had to start two QBs. And then all this data that was compiled for just one QB leagues. Of course, we couldn't we couldn't decide on uh, getting it split like that. But yeah, there was definitely uh, based on the ADP of all the rookie quarterbacks that were taken. There were only two that were 12.0 something in in their ADP rankings, which means that almost all of them were going anywhere between three and one and a half million dollars per year in their contract value. And when we look at uh, how much they've been, how much they've been scoring. And as well, I know uh, reading through the RSP, I had mentioned this, that uh, Matt Wallman sort of been talking about how quarterbacks have, you know, there's no more sit, wait three more years for them to come through. They've been sort of bang, 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 come into the league and they're at least pretty good for the first year or two maybe some some get figured out by defenses but for the most part a lot of them have been producing early which if you're playing in a super flex league really benefits the point of having you know those late firsts early second round picks because those are the picks that have a much lower sort of bust ratio and their upside compared to their veteran counterparts you end up saving sort of handfuls of fist of money for uh, what you're getting there uh, compared to sort of some of the other positions where, you know, you can always find diamond in the rough running backs for about what you would pay a first, you know, the first five RBs taken in a rookie draft. But in terms of a quarterback hitting uh, Aaron Rodgers, Russell Wilson going for $20 million and you're able to find this guy for 20 times less than them and they score almost the same value is, is something tremendous to have over all your other league mates. For sure, and I think one thing about your article that that piqued my interest was when, as fairly new players to Reality Sports Online, a lot of my best friends have started to recognize that maybe the top end of the second round might be slightly more valuable than the bottom end of the first round, and you allude to this a little bit in the article, and so could you speak more to how that plays out um, in terms of like in terms of the total value you put on the players that are acquired at the end of the first versus the beginning of the second round as rookies? Yeah, so what ends up happening in the data is you find a lot of people end up moving into the first round either because they think that there's a player that's falling or they just really need a player that they're either trying to fill a need for or they just like that player. And what ends up happening is they have a lot of sort of changes in value because let's say a guy's coming up from 203 to 108. Well, that's anywhere between a three and a $5 million change in his value whereas his production is going to stay the same. He is who he is. So whether he busts or whether he's amazing, you're essentially trading that three to $5 million per year in his value. So that's why a lot of sort of savvy owners end up actually thinking, okay, if I have, 
you know, I have three or four players in mind and I'm sitting at the last pick or the second last pick in my first round. Well, if I just move one pick down, I'm immediately saving $3 million. And then if this guy hits, it's phenomenal how much you're able to sort of have that, that value. And then if he breaks, well, okay, it's not that big of a deal. You, you know, you're only spending a million dollars now instead of spending three to $5 million. Um, but what ends up happening is I think it worked out perfectly that they were able to add this fifth year option, similar to how now you see teams in the real NFL say, well, I really believe in this guy. So I want to move into the back of the first round so that I can have that option for the fifth year. And now I think you'll actually start to see that a little bit more now in our leagues where, uh, you know, having the 201 is great, but if you really believe in the guy, maybe moving in, you know, 111, 109, depending on how many you have in your league, if you really hit on that player, you'll still have that extra year now to sort of hold them under market value before they get back into free agency. Yeah, I, I actually disagree with you a little bit on that. Um, I, I mean, I, I see the value in that ex, that fifth year, but I, I, if I have 2.01 and there's a, a couple players that I like, I'm not going to be emotional about it. I'm going to be mathematic. And I'm, you know, 2.01, 2.02, especially in Superflex League, I, I'm going to probably sit tight and, and just extract value there. And, and so, you know, so what if it, I don't have that fifth year? I mean, that fifth year is still at the transition tag to me, which, you know, get I, I if you're successful and you're the lucky, the, the chosen ones who pick Alvin Kamara in the second round or David Johnson in the second round, you get that right. And you have three good years of that. And then you just, then you just extend them when it's when it's there. So that fifth year, that fifth year, while it's enticing, and and I think I think what's enticing about it for me is the fact of if you if one year your team isn't doing as well, and then you accumulate multiple first rounders in the same year, and you get those guys all on the same cycle, and they and they produce, then you're kicking in options at below market value for more than one asset. So I, I like that strategy aspect of it, and I and I totally see your point about the trading up and it being more NFL like. But where Matt Goodwin sits in terms of like the the you know having two point, I love that. I've always loved that two point oh one pick, and I've made no. There's been no even gravitating towards the other side of that fence for me. Um, so I, you know, I, I think there's just question marks with sometimes with these guys in the, in the back half, the back end of the first round. So, no, I was just going to say, so like if, like in your scenario where you have a tier of players and you're either starting at the top or the tier is big enough that you're kind of somewhere muddled in the middle, then yeah, I'm going to say almost every time trade down in RSO, because if you're not really worried about having player number three or player number five in the tier you're at. We'll get to five because you're going to save a bunch of money. I'm more talking about if you're sitting at 203 and you believe either somebody's falling that you that you think is going to be a star and okay. and you really only have like that's that's my guy or it's the end of the tier and I got to get something here. That's where you would probably come back in. But yeah, I, I I'm definitely in your camp. Often times I'll look if I'm if I'm 109, 111, 112 in a draft, like I'm trying to get back to 202, 203, something like that, and then I'm trying to acquire you know. 211 or 210 so that I can do the exact same thing in the second round and just keep right. acquiring value. See, the problem for you, Nick, is you just keep winning all these leagues. So you find yourself there anyways, whereas the rest of us, you know, are, are, in, are in different places. 
Well, that's always been the problem, right? Is you know, you tra- you trade out of the first round to acquire talent, win again, and then midway through the next season, you end up trading your pick again. So you never actually yeah. end up having any picks to make any deals on draft day for. <laughs> so Nick, with the uh, with that label of the winningest expert that we have in the RSO Writers League, we'll we'll let we'll let you kind of bring us home on that note. Beyond looking to your article and reading it, were there any surprises in the data that stood out to you or any pieces of advice beyond the data and beyond that article that you want to give to the listeners as they as they roll through this week and, and gear up to to meet these players on their new teams and, and how to prepare for their own rookie drafts as RSO GMs? For sure. So looking at the data and the numbers, you know, I, I was expecting veterans probably would like, you know, everybody always likes the rookies. But really, we know veterans are what actually ends up producing. So I knew there was probably going to be some sort of trend, but I was really surprised at how overwhelming it was at most positions that, oh, yeah, 85, 90, 100% of the time, you should probably be trading this pick away for a veteran player that isn't necessarily even in the top five of his position. If you're getting a guy, you know, YR20, YR15, those guys, you know, you can still be trading those for tremendous value. The one that I was surprised, though, was how much between 102 and sort of 105, like I said, after that first guy comes off the board that everybody always believes that guy works out, there's always this range where two or three of those guys really don't end up actually doing anything, and it costs a team anywhere between 5 and $7 million to essentially think about whether this player is going to be any good. Meanwhile, they probably fielded two dozen offers in the off season saying, Hey, 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 I want to trade up to one Oh three. How, how's, uh, you know, how's golden Tate and the one Oh seven and people just no, no, I, I no golden Tate isn't sexy enough for me to move down five spots. Meanwhile, that guy is probably laughing because he ends up getting his own player that he wanted anyway at one Oh seven and keeps the production of a golden Tate wide receiver. So looking at that, it was interesting. And then same thing, like we've sort of discussed the second round, tremendous tremendous value looking at sort of all the way across the board especially as you get near the end of it you would think that a similar trend to being at the end of the first round you'd say okay i want to get out of the second round move down into the third or just move out completely and get any player that has a strong production value for a second round pick what ends up happening is because of the value change from one to two versus two to three it's not actually that big of a difference. Meanwhile, the production level, the third round usually just peters off and you barely have any successes. Uh, you know, you're pulling maybe a couple David Johnsons and Stefan Diggs, you know, every once in a while, but it really doesn't make that big of a difference. So in the second round, finding players like quarterbacks, like we've talked about, maybe not as so much in super flex leagues because they're getting pulled up the boards, but for sure in one QB leagues, if you're in that 208, 209, 212 slot and you've you know, you're not enamored with a player, take an extra quarterback there. They always go up in value. They always seem to produce right away. And then you can trade them later next year for the 204. So you instantly get a payoff in your portfolio, which is pretty much what you're always trying to do. Just a lot of players are treated like stock options and you just want to keep seeing your stocks go up and up. Yeah, that, that's, a, that's a great point. I mean, I think that always works on the quarterback unless you're picking Deshaun Kaiser like I did. <laughs> um, uh, yeah, so that was my question. And so just to tack on and just making sure we're ta- we're kind of matching players to analysis, the, the quarterbacks that approached the first round draft pick in the historical analysis were, were Winston and Mariota. Is that right? Yeah, so those were sort of the only two guys that, you know, they 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 teetered between that 12, 13th pick. So some some people were able to acquire them. 
for the three, four million dollars that they were, and other players were you know savvy enough to get them just that one spot slower, but get them in the second round and therefore at the lower price tag of a million and a half. And okay, then and once you get down to the second round, like later in the second round, you have, you know, your Mitchell Trubisky's, Deshaun Watson's, all those guys, they were pretty much what holds up that nice end of the chart where, you know, 208 to 212, uh, their value is tremendous because they're producing at such a high level, but only earning about 900K to $1.2 million per year. Yeah. And based, based on this draft class of quarterbacks, um, say one QB league or, or a super flex league, where where are you starting to pick quarterbacks you think in in leagues you'd be in in one qb there's probably anywhere between six and eight running backs that i would look to take before taking a quarterback and then like i said i'm a little lower on the wide receiver core than most so uh maybe three or four and then i'm starting to get into that josh rosen baker mayfield lamar jackson sam darnold trend and then I, 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 I hinted at this in the article, just don't don't take tight ends. Like Unless you're getting a guy that was projected mid-first round in the third round, you're never going to have any value. So just stick to those three positions in your draft and acquire tight ends as they come uh, as they become more productive later in their careers and in their peak. Well, excellent, Nick. Uh, really one of my favorite articles, very actionable, actionable analysis that we can use like i said i hope someday much like jimmy johnson your name's getting tossed around the airwaves as what would you do or what would nick andrews do in this situation one more time for our listeners where can they find you where can they go look at this article where can they they back up what we've been saying so you can find it on rso right on their main page there it's sandwiched in between two good uh, bob cowper articles talking about the rookie rankings that he's got on and then you can find me and all my articles and anything else I like to talk about on Twitter at Nick Andrews underscore RSO. And Goody, if we want to follow up with some questions for you, where do I turn to? You can find me at Twitter at Matt Goody too. And I just would like to say, Nick, this is this is evergreen content in my mind. Um, you know, of course, the analysis could be updated on a yearly basis, but I think this thing can really hold, you know, hold a lot of water for. Our, all the RSO GMs and, and I really appreciate you going deep into this and, and, and building a, a value-based analysis that I, I think is, is really transcendent for our users. And so I, I am in deep debt to you for that. I, I really, really like the direction that this went and it, you know, I know it was very time consuming and appreciate you coming on and, and we look forward to having you again. Oh, no, I appreciate you guys bringing me in on the fold. I love doing all the statistical analysis. So uh, when you guys pass the buck off to me, it was more of a, yes, I get to do something rather than, oh, okay, I guess I'll just talk about this uh, sort of afterwards and see how, how their data compared to all my data. So again, no, thank you for uh, sort of involving me in, in this process and then inviting me on your show. It's been, been great stuff so far. Absolutely. We look forward to uh, many more conversations with you. Hopefully not with you always on the victorious end of those conversations in, in the in the gaming world. But um, this has been all about reality. This has been one of our best members of our crew, Nick Andrews, representing an analysis of rookies versus veterans right here in the heart of the our week preparing for the NFL draft. And we wish luck to all of our RSO GMs as they do their own analysis and own preparation for the RSO rookie drafts. Hear it all about reality once again. Thank you, and we'll talk to you soon.